Chapter 16 of Seven Keys to Baldpate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Seven Keys to Baldpate by Earl Dare Biggers. Chapter 16 A Man from the Dark. For fully five seconds, Mr. McGee and the man with whom he had collided stood facing each other on the balcony. The identical moon of the summer romances now hung in the sky, and in its white glare Baldpate Mountain glittered like a Christmas card. Suddenly the wind broke a small branch from one of the nearby trees, and tossed it lightly on the snow beside the two men, as though it were a signal for battle. "'A lucky chance,' said Mr. McGee. "'You're a man I've been longing to meet, especially since the professor left his window open this afternoon.' "'Indeed,' replied the other calmly. "'May I ask what you want of me?' "'Certainly,' Mr. McGee laughed. "'A little package. I think it's in your pocket at this minute. A package no bigger than a man's hand.' The stranger made no reply, but looked quickly about, over his shoulder at the path along which he had come, and then passed Mr. McGee at the road that led to freedom. "'I think it's in your pocket,' repeated Mr. McGee and I'm going to find out. I haven't time to argue with you, said the holder of the seventh key. His voice was cold, calculating, harsh. Get out of my way and let me pass, or... Or what? asked Billy McGee. He watched the man lunge toward him in the moonlight. He saw the fist that had the night before been the Waterloo of Mr. Max and the mayor start out on a swift true course for his head. Quickly he dodged to one side and closed with his opponent. Back and forth through the snow they ploughed, panting, grappling, straining. Mr. McGee soon realized that his adversary was no weakling. He was forced to call into play muscles he had not used in what seemed ages, not since he sported of an afternoon in a rather odorous college gymnasium. In moonlight and shadow, up and down, they reeled, staggered, stumbled, the soul jarring notes in that picture of Baldpate on a quiet winter's night. "'You queered the game last time,' muttered the stranger, "'but you'll never queer it again.' Mr. McGee saved his breath. Together they crashed against the side of the inn. Together they squirmed away, across the balcony to the railing. Still back and forth, now in the moonlight, now in shadow, wildly they fought. Once Mr. McGee felt his feet slip from beneath him, but caught himself in time. His strength was going, surely, quickly. Then suddenly his opponent seemed to weaken in his grip. With a supreme effort, McGee forced him down upon the balcony floor and tumbled on top of him. He felt the chill of the snow under his knees and its wetness in his cuffs. Now, he cried to himself, the other still struggled desperately, but his struggle was without success, for deftly Billy McGee drew from his pocket the precious package about which there had been so much debate on Baldpate Mountain. He clasped it close, rose, and ran. In another second he was inside number seven, and had lighted a candle at the blazing logs. Once more he examined that closely packed little bundle. Once more he found it rich in greenbacks. Assuredly, it was the greatly desired thing he had fought for the night before. He had it again. And this time, he told himself, he would not lose sight of it until he had placed it in the hands of the girl of the station. 
the dark shadow of the man he had just robbed was hovering at his windows mcgee turned hastily to the door as he did so it opened and hayden entered he carried a pistol in his hand his face was hard cruel determined his usually expressionless eyes lighted with pleasure as they fell on the package in mr mcgee's possession it seems i'm just in time he said to prevent highway robbery you think so asked mcgee see here young man remarked hayden glancing nervously over his shoulder i can't waste any time in talk does that money belong to you no well it does belong to me i'm going to have it don't think i'm afraid to shoot to get it the law permits a man to fire on the thief who tries to fleece him the law did you say laughed billy mcgee i wouldn't drag the law into this if i were you mr hayden i'm sure it has no connection with events on baldpate mountain you would be the last to want its attention to be directed here i've got this money and i'm going to keep it hayden considered a brief moment and then swore under his breath you're right he said i'm not going to shoot but there are other ways you whippersnapper he dropped the revolver into his pocket and sprang forward for the second time within ten minutes mr mcgee steadied himself for conflict but hayden stopped someone had entered the room through the window behind mcgee in the dim light of the single candle mcgee saw hayden's face go white his lip twitch his eyes glaze with horrible surprise his arms fell limply to his sides good god kendrick he cried the voice of the man with whom billy mcgee had but a moment before struggled on the balcony answered yes hayden i'm back hayden wet his lips with his tongue what what brought you he asked his voice trailing off weakly on the last word what brought me suddenly as from a volcano that had long been cold fire blazed up in kendrick's eyes if a man knew the road from hell back home what would it need to bring him back hayden stood with his mouth partly open almost a grotesque picture of terror he looked in that dim light then he spoke in an odd strained tone more to himself than to anyone else i thought you were dead he said i told myself you'd never come back over and over in the night i told myself that but all the time i knew i knew you'd come a cry a woman's cry sounded from just outside the door of number seven into the room came myra thornhill quickly she crossed and took kendrick's hands in hers david she sobbed oh david is it a dream a wonderful dream kendrick looked into her eyes sheepishly at first then gladly as he saw what was in them for the light there under the tears was such as no man could mistake mcgee saw it hayden saw it too and his voice was even more lifeless when he spoke forgive me david he said i didn't mean and then as he saw that kendrick did not listen he turned and walked quietly into the bedroom of number seven taking no notice of cargan and bland who with the other winter guests of baldpate now crowded the doorway leading to the hall hayden closed the bedroom door mr mcgee and the others stood silent wondering their answer came quickly the sharp cry of a revolver behind that closed door it was mr mcgee who went into the bedroom 
the moonlight streamed in through the low windows and fell brightly on the bed across this hayden lay mr mcgee made sure it was not a pleasant thing to make sure of then he took the revolver from the hand that still clasped it covered the quiet figure on the bed and stepped back into the outer room he he has killed himself he said in a low voice closing the bedroom door behind him there was a moment's frightened hush then the voice of kendrick rang out killed himself i don't understand why should he do that surely not because no he looked questioningly into the white face of the girl at his side she only shook her head killed himself he repeated like a man wakened from sleep i don't understand on tiptoe the amateur hermits of baldpate descended to the hotel office mr mcgee saw the eyes of the girl of the station upon him wide with doubt and alarm while the others gathered in little groups and talked he took her to one side when does the next train leave for Rutan? he asked her in two hours at ten-thirty she replied you must be on it he told her with you will go the two hundred thousand dollar package i have it in my pocket now she took the news stolidly and made no reply are you afraid asked mcgee gently you mustn't be no harm can touch you i shall stay here and see that no one follows i am not afraid she replied just startled that's all did he did he do it because you took this money because he was afraid of what would happen you mean hayden mcgee said no this money was not concerned in his death that is an affair between kendrick and him i see answered the girl slowly i'm so glad it wasn't the money i couldn't bear it if it were may i call your attention remarked mcgee to the fact that the long reign of i'm going to is ended and the rule of i've done it has begun i've actually got the money somehow it doesn't seem to thrill you the way that i thought it would but it does oh it does cried the girl i was upset for a moment it's glorious news and with you on guard here i'm not afraid to carry it away down the mountain and to Rutan. i'll be with you in a moment ready for the journey she called mrs norton and the two went rather timidly upstairs together mr mcgee turned to his companions in the room and mentally called their role they were all there the professor the mayor max bland peters miss thornhill and the newcomer kendrick a man prematurely old great at the temples and with a face yellowed by fever he and the professor were talking earnestly together and now the old man came and stood before mcgee mr mcgee he said seriously i learn from kendrick that you have in your possession a certain package of money that has been much buffeted about here at baldpate inn now i suggest no i demand pardon me professor mr mcgee interrupted i have something to suggest even to demand it is that you and every one else present select a chair and sit down i suggest though i do not demand that you pick comfortable chairs for the vigil that you are about to begin will prove a long one what do you mean asked the mayor of Rutan, coming militantly to professor bolton's side mcgee did not reply miss norton and her mother came down the stair the former wrapped in a great coat she stood on the bottom step her cheeks flushed her eyes ablaze mr mcgee going to her side 
reflected that she looked charming and wonderful, and wished he had time to admire. But he hadn't. He took from one pocket the pistol he had removed from the hand of Hayden, from the other the celebrated package of money. "'I warn you all,' he said, "'I will shoot anyone who makes a move for this bundle. Miss Norton is going to take it away with her. She is to catch the 10.30 train for Rutin. The train arrives at its destination at twelve. Much as it pains me to say it, no one will leave this room before twelve fifteen. "'You crook!' roared Cargan. Mr. McGee smiled as he put the package in the girl's hand. "'Possibly,' he said. "'But, Mr. Cargan, the blackness of the kettle always has annoyed the pot. Do not be afraid,' he added to the girl. "'Every gentleman in this room is to spend the evening with me. You will not be annoyed in any way.' He looked around the menacing circle. "'Go,' he said, "'and may the gods of the mountain take care of you.' The little professor of comparative literature stepped forward and stood pompously before McGee. "'One moment,' he remarked. "'Before you steal this money in front of our very eyes, I want to inform you who I am and who I represent here.' "'There is no time,' replied McGee, "'for light talk on the subject of blondes.' "'This is the time,' said the professor warmly, for me to tell you that Mr. Kendrick here and myself represent at Baldpate Inn the prosecuting attorney of Rutan County. We— Cargan, big, red, volcanic, interrupted. Drayton, he bellowed. Drayton sent you here? The rat, the pup. Why, I made that kid. I put him where he is. He won't dare touch me. Won't he? returned Professor Bolton. My dear sir, you are mistaken. Drayton fully intends to prosecute you on the ground that you arranged to pass Ordinance Number 45, granting the suburban railway the privilege of merging with the Civic, in exchange for this bribe of $200,000. He won't dare, cried Cargan. I made him. Before election, said the professor, I believe he often insisted to you that he would do his duty as he saw it. Of course he did, replied Cargan but that's what they all say. He intends to keep his word. The mayor of Rutin slid into the shadows. To think he'd do this thing to me, he whined, after all I've done for him. As I was saying, Mr. McGee, continued the professor, Mr. Kendrick and I came up here to secure this package of money as evidence against Cargan and the man above. I speak with the voice of the law when I say you must turn this money over to me. For answer, McGee smiled at the girl. You'd better go now, he said. It's a long walk down the mountain. You refuse? cried the professor. Absolutely, don't we, Miss Norton? said McGee. Absolutely, she repeated bravely. Then, sir, announced the old man crushingly, you are little better than a thief, and this girl is your accomplice. So it must look on the face of it, assented McGee. The girl moved to the big front door, and McGee, with his eyes still on the room, backed away until he stood beside her. He handed her his key. I give you, he said, to the gods of the mountain, but it's only a loan. I shall surely want you back. I can't follow ten feet behind as I threatened. It will be ten hours instead." Good night and good luck. She turned the key in the lock. Billy McGee, she whispered, 
yours is a faith beyond understanding i shall tell the gods of the mountain that i am to be returned good night you dear she went out quickly and mcgee locking the door after her thrust the key into his pocket for a moment no one stirred then mr max leaped up and ran through the flickering light to the nearest window there was a flash a report and max came back into the firelight examining a torn trousers leg i don't mean to kill anybody explained mr mcgee just to wing them but i'm not an expert i might shoot higher than i intend so i suggest that no one else try a break for it mr mcgee said miss thornhill i don't believe you have the slightest idea who that girl is nor what she wants with the money that he replied makes it all the more exciting don't you think do you mean the professor exploded you don't know her well you young fool it's rather fine of you remarked miss thornhill it's asinine if it's true the professor voiced the other side of it you have said yourself or at least you claim to have said mr mcgee reminded him one girl like that is worth a million suffragettes and can make just as much trouble complained professor bolton i shall certainly see to it that the hermit's book has an honored place in our college library out of the big chair into which he had sunk came the wail of the uncomprehending cargan he's done this thing to me after all i've done for him i hope everyone is quite comfortable remarked mcgee selecting a seat facing the crowd it's going to be a long wait you know there was no answer the wind roared lustily at the windows the firelight flickered redly on the faces of mr mcgee's prisoners End of chapter 16